Life is like an uphill climb, a continuous journey toward the peak. We all face our own struggles, each unique and challenging. In Romans 8.37, we are assured that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. With faith and with perseverance, we can conquer any uphill climb. Your journey may be tough, but victory awaits those who keep moving uphill. Good morning. Oh, wow. That was pretty weak. Good morning. All right. I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, grandfathers out there. Can we just affirm once again, just fatherhood. You're sticking it through. You're being faithful, doing the best that you can. I'm so glad that you're here today on this Father's Day. I am praying that the sun comes out today. And hopefully, you know, Pastor Scott and I were talking about this, hopefully like in an hour, because uh, after service today, we're just doing a family barbecue thing. And I want to go swimming with my kids. So I'm hoping that that happens today. Just, you know, being with my children is the best of all. And I'm sure uh, you would all agree with that. Amen. So we affirm all the dads today. We have something really special after the service for you, all the day, just for, for everyone. Um, it's some A&W uh, ice cream and A&W, like A&W floats, remember that day? Some of you remember the A&W places? We're going to have that today, so um, please enjoy that. Um, If you're a guest with us today, and if you're watching online, I just, again, want to say Happy Father's Day to you out there, and I just want you to know that I am really glad that you're here. I just sense that God has something very special to touch on our hearts, especially for the guys today. So I would hope, you know, for the next, you know, 28 minutes or so that um, just really tune into what God has for you. Amen? I was reflecting this week on Father's Day. We're going to get to the text today in Luke 22. But all week long, I was just thinking about Father's Day and all this. My father passed about a little under three years ago. And I had a moment this week that um, I used to call my dad like almost every day. Dad, I was thinking about this. What do you think? Dad, what's happening with you today? I just, he lived just two, about two miles from me. So I had this very, very close relationship with my father. And so um, Father's Day for me, I'm excited because I get to be a dad. But there's a part of me that's just, I just miss my dad. But I'm so glad that he's with our Heavenly Father in heaven. And I know that. My dad wasn't the most perfect guy. None of us are. But I know because of his simple faith in Jesus and receiving Christ into his life, he's there. And I'm looking forward to seeing my dad again. I was reflecting on, you know, fatherhood for, for our own life, my wife and I. And, you know, it all started when I met my wife um, back at Laguna Hills Mall Cinema. Now it's a flat land. <laughs> they demolished that thing, but that's where I first saw her. And um, when I was dating her, I just kind of knew, like, in the first couple of weeks, this, this is the one. I just know. I, God, I've been praying. And I just felt like this, this is it. So um, I asked her to marry me. I had like this all planned out. I proposed to her. I just um, knew it was going to go well. And so um, when I asked her the first time, <laughs> um, when I was finished with my little speech, she said, no. I was like, what? And she actually um, broke up with me um, at, that, at that moment. So I did what any, you know, person would do wanting to marry this one I went to my pastor (laughs) and um, I went over to his house and I said "Um, you're not going to believe this but Laura broke up with me and they were just so sad and he and his wife's name Carolyn and um, she said "Um, well why 
I said, she said something about, I can't be a pastor's wife. She says, I don't play the piano. And um, I, don't, I don't like do children's ministry. I've never like run children's programs and stuff. And so she said, hmm, let me just pray about this. So um, two weeks later, we were invited over. Uh, I, we were broken up for 30 days. But the pastor and his wife had invited us to go over. And I said, Lord, look, we're not going out. I know you made your decision. But the pastor and his wife just invited us over. So um, we meet over at the house. And I could hear Carolyn talking to, would be my wife, Laura, in the other room. And she said, well, now, honey, why, why don't you want to marry Mike? She said, um, because I can't. I can't be a pastor's wife. I can't do what you do. And she said, well, and this is one question. Turn this whole thing around. So, guys, if you want to remember this, if you've got a tough time going on with your dating person, um, she asked one question. She said, well, what do you think that Mike needs? And she thought my wife is very insightful. She's very smart. She's very articulate, and she thinks and processes. And she said... I think he just probably needs me to be his wife. She said, then you're going to be fine. Turned the whole situation around. So Laura came back to me and said, guess what? I'll marry you. I'm like, yes. (laughs) It's sometimes a struggle. You have in your mind what you think life is going to be. You have a picture in your mind, don't you? Of this next season of life. And it doesn't always work out like that. When I was in Bible seminary, I felt like, you know, when I received Christ into my life and made a commitment to him, I just really felt my heart was like God was tugging on my heart to to serve him full time. And I had no idea I was going to be a pastor. No idea. If you were to tell me that, I would say, you're crazy. Which is probably why I'm doing this, because I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. But anyway... um, Going through four years of, of college, taking the classes and thinking about ministry, I thought, man, I can't wait to be a pastor now because I know God's called me to do this and wanted you know, to get the perfect church and the perfect place and all that. And I remember our senior year, a bunch of us guys that took youth ministry classes together, um, we were talking about what it would be like. And as uh, fast forward the tape of life really quick, um, I ended up here. And I remember my first few Sundays, I had in my mind what I thought it was going to go like. I had a picture in my head. So everyone's going to, all the leadership's going to fall in line with the vision that God gave to the man of God, right? And everyone's going to go, we're behind the vision. We're with you. And the, the whole church loves Jesus. Everybody wants God to succeed. Everybody wants God to be on the throne of the church. And, and, and God, everybody wants God to be in the forefront, right? Oh, man, I did not know that sometimes churches can be the most place, the place of struggling more than any place in the world. And so what happened is I didn't realize that there are some people that want you fired. There are some people that don't like you. There are some people that stay and work against you. Nobody taught me this stuff. No, no one said, hey, this is going to happen, and this is, how you, this is how you go to your knees on this. I was just kind of blindsided by that. It got so bad. The struggle for me got so bad because I made some mistakes. Most of us have made some mistakes, right? Especially in like your first job and my first ministry. I made some mistakes of just wearing my heart on my sleeve a little too much. A little too much trust. Just trusted everybody. Believed that everybody was with you and everybody was behind you. And I had made some monumental mistakes that way. It got so bad. I had written my resignation letter after three years of being here. 
I was going to quit. I said, I don't need this. I can go teach tennis down in Newport Beach and make tons of money. I don't need to do this. And so um, I gave my resignation to one of the guys on the elder team, and he said, um, I'm going to take this. <laughs> he ripped it up. And then he said, um, I need you to do something before you, do, before you think you're going to quit. I need you to go up to Sacramento. And so why, what's in Sacramento? You know, I'm crying. My wife is crying. We just want to leave and quit. And he says, I just need you to trust me. There's a guy up there I need you to see for three days. And at the end of those three days, I need you to do one thing. I need you to hear from God. Because if you quit and you pull a Jonah and just jump out of the ship and just leave, and God wasn't leading you to do that, that's not going to be good for anyone. So we went up there. I met a guy named Rick. who I didn't realize that God put in my life to be a garden friend of mine that would never leave. Even in all of my mistakes, all my failures, all of my weirdness, all of my stuff, he was there. You know, I heard that if you have two to three garden friends in your lifetime, now what we mean by garden friend is I'll never leave you, I know everything about you. You can run. You can hide. You can tell me you hate me. You can tell the relationship's over. You can tell me that I'm not leaving. Call me at 2.30 in the morning. You call me at 2.30 in the morning. I'm there. If you have two or three in a lifetime, you're doing well. I, I want to take us to a scene. You know, one of the things I love about following Jesus because I know I don't measure up every day. But the fact that he struggled helps me to love him so much more. Can I just, can I just say that at MVCC, if this is your home, the, our team, our pastoral team, and I can say we love you, genuinely love you. What I want most from you is I want you to fall in love with Jesus every time we gather that much more. And when I can... Identify with what he went through on a small level. It helps me to fall in love with him so much more. In Luke 22, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones, um, Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 39. just want you to hold that right there because I want to get into it. But before we do, I want to take you to, take you to a scene in Matthew 14. Jesus Crowds of people around him all the time. Why? Because Jesus loved everybody right where they were. And he was authentic. He was real. Crowds of people were following him. So he said to the guys, look, get in the boat. His fishermen, 12 of them. I want you guys to get in the boat. Go to the other side and I'll meet you there. Well, in the middle of being on the Sea of Galilee, they say that I've never been there, but these huge groundswell of winds would just all of a sudden come up, and these great storms would just, in a matter of minutes, would come up. And these guys are fishermen. They, they've done this for most of their life. And it says in this particular case, the winds were howling so much, and the waves were crashing over the boat that they were frightened for their very life. The word is terrified. And all the while, it says that Jesus was on a mountaintop, not only praying, but he could see them struggling, fighting the waves, fighting the storm. And, and most of you remember this. Jesus then comes walking on the water. I mean, wouldn't that have been the most amazing thing? 
as he comes walking on the water, they are terrified and they said, it's a ghost. Peter, Peter's the one we've been also taking a a glass-eyed look at through the gospel of of Luke where he just says things he shouldn't say. (laughs) He jumps out and just is impetuous Peter. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he steps out of the boat. And as he steps out of the boat, he is walking on water. He is walking on water towards the Lord. But you know this, as soon as he starts looking at the waves and starts focusing on what's happening around him, he sinks and he cries out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. In that moment, Jesus reaches down and saves Peter and rescues his life. And as Peter gets back in the boat, as he was dictating this to Mark in the gospel of Mark, I used to think that scenario, that case, was all about Peter having faith enough to get out of the boat. But the more that I've read that text and the more that I've thought about it, it wasn't so much about Peter getting out of the boat as much as Jesus getting into their boat and staying with them. And I bring that up because in the moment that you have, you think the darkest hour of your life Ever had a moment that you wondered if you were going to make it? Might have been emotional. Might have been something physical. Might have been some spiritual attack. And all you have is a lifeline to cry out to Jesus. And that struggle of not knowing what to do, Jesus understands. Let's go to the text here. They moved from the last meal. Remember we looked at that the last couple of weeks? The very last meal that Jesus had with his 12 friends now. He calls them friends. And as he moves out now to a familiar place called the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where we're going to pick it up here. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And then he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And he walked away, just about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from the grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. And Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords, and one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear, Peter. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priest, the captain of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you have come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. 
But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. I realize that this is an intense moment. What I gather out of this is just as the disciples were on that lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they thought, man, if Jesus told us to do something, why are we struggling? Why is there so much resistance coming against us? God must not be in this. Ever been there? Resistance could be a sign that revelation is coming. The storms were coming against them. They weren't sure if they were going to make it. And yet here comes Jesus revealed walking on the water. I just want you to hold that image in your mind because I bet that some of us here today might feel like we're in the storm. We've been in a storm. Or for those of us that say, nah, this doesn't really relate to me. I just want to tell you, hold on. Because storms of life will come and storms of life will cease. They will stop, right? I want you to just think about for a moment Where has been the biggest struggle in your life? It's in the garden that we see Jesus at his moment of greatest struggle. Interesting that life began in the garden with Adam and Eve. New life begins in this garden. If Jesus does not go through with what God wants him, the Father in heaven wants him to go through, you and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't know his love. We wouldn't have been transformed from the inside out. But as Adam and Eve were hiding from God in the garden, Jesus, there is nothing hidden from the Father. That's what I love about Jesus. You know that word Gethsemane? Some of your translations might um, reveal that through this text. That really means the olive press. That's why it's called the Mount of Olives. And just put um, a picture up here to identify with what was really going on in that area. Um, If you were to travel to Jerusalem today, you might see one of these. And of course, this was what they call an olive press. And as the olives are dropped into this colander, the cylinder, that this would be pressed, this huge concrete wheel would be pressed around the olives to get the oil out. They were crushed in the pressing. It's interesting that Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives as he is crushed in spirit. Something is, someone is pressing against him. And of course, we know Satan is right there. But I'm thankful for Isaiah 53, 5 that says, He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are now healed. Jesus calls Peter, James, and John. I just need you to see this with me. This this is fascinating to me as we unpack this. I I just want us to go to that scene. I think um, Mel Gibson did did a great job of the passion of the Christ and might have been something like this. But as he calls Peter, James, and John, hey guys, I need you to come with me. Now here's here's the thing I'm I'm wrestling with, with in this text. Why would the Son of God, why would God in flesh, Jesus being fully human and fully God, why would he need Peter, James, and John to be with him? I I realize as we read this, he asked them, I just need you guys to pray. Have you ever been in a moment where you just, I just need you to pray for me. I can't get into detail. My heart is heavy. There's something going on the inside. I'm struggling. There is something that's fighting, someone fighting against this thing that I know God wants me to do. And I just need prayer. I just need you to stand with me, man, and pray. I can't tell you everything that's going on. I just need you with me. 
It says that it was, Jesus was a stone's throw away. I don't know. What was that? 10, 20, maybe 15? I don't know, feet. I think it was close enough to where Peter, James, and John heard him pray, heard Jesus struggling, fighting. Isn't it good to know that Jesus fights for you? In this moment, he is fighting for your soul. And the fact that he's on his knees fighting, man, that's, that's where I want to be. Yes, I think he asked because he needed strength in prayer. And can I say that part of my reason I think God called you know, us to be here for such a time as this is to beat the OC out of us. Because the OC says, oh no, everything's great, everything's wonderful. I gotta keep up the image, don't really have big problems. And if I do have problems, I'll figure it out myself. I'll fix them myself. And we keep things close to the vest. I think, guys, we do that. We gotta be strong, we gotta be mighty, we gotta put on the front, we gotta hold it together. We're the leader of the family, or we someday wanna be leader of a family. I wanna protect my wife, so I gotta be strong, gotta be spiritual Superman. I'm just so glad that Jesus, at his point of struggle and the darkest place, I believe while he was here for 33 years, that Jesus in his spirit cries out to his father, I'm feeling depressed. Jesus got depressed? Uh Uh-huh. Why else would it be so intense that sweat, actual medical term, homodrodysis, that it turns really to blood because it's so in, he's such in an intense moment. The struggle is so great. Now, the second thing, I think, why did he ask Peter, James, and John? You know, I think there are some times in life that you just need someone to sit with you. I don't need you to say anything. I don't need you to do anything. There's nothing. I, can you just be with me? God in flesh needed someone? Yes, he's fully human. He understands, he feels, he knows. He goes through everything we go through. And if the son of God just needed three of his guys, his companions, his inner circle, to just, I just need you to sit with me, man. I just need you to be here with me. Why do I believe that? Because he did not chastise them when they fell asleep. Ever been in prayer at night and fall asleep? (laughs) On occasion, I've done that. Funny, I don't remember waking up and feeling the discipline of the Lord. He is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, isn't he? My heart, Matthew says, is heavy, exceedingly sorrowful, Deeply distressed. Thus, I think Jesus understands depression. I think he understands all that. Question is, why would the Son of God, knowing that he was going to be fully resurrected, he's going to rise from the dead? We all know that, otherwise we wouldn't be here. I think he did not want to go through the torture, the pain, the humiliation, them driving the nails in his hands and feet. But I think beyond all that, I think Jesus knew that the moment that he was crucified, that the wrath of God was going to be upon him. Now, what do we mean by that? The Bible talks about the real wrath of God. 
The Bible talks over and over again about the judgment of God. I know we don't talk about that much. We don't, in our woke culture, we don't want to offend anyone. But truth is truth. It's not all just love and just grace and just do whatever we want and Jesus accepts us. We will all stand before God. I, I, I need you to hear this. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Hebrews tells us that. But this moment is so intense because now think about this. Every sin, every bad thought, everything you've ever done wrong for all of humanity is going to now be cast on the chest of Jesus. And he is going to take on the full wrath of the Father. How do we know that? Because the scripture says when Jesus had those seven sayings on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that moment when the presence of God, the Father, literally, Jesus and the Father were separated for that moment because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot. It's just biblical teaching. It's just biblically sound. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven almost or, or, excuse, uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who press against the truth. Revelation 20.15 says, If any one, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Romans again tells us his, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by God's wrath? I know it's not good news. I know it's bad news. I know it's not. But the reality is we will all stand before God because we are sinners. It's just truth. This is what makes this moment so impactful. This is a life-changing moment for me. Because if Jesus does not go through, God, I don't want to do this. If possible, let this cup pass. God, but not what I want, God, but what you want. That's where I want to be in my life. And I, I wish I could stand and tell you, man, I'm always on point. I'm always God's will and not my will. Sometimes I want what I want. And I wrestle and struggle with that. Jesus understands and he knows and that's why he sends the Holy Spirit within us so that we have the same power that was in the garden through Jesus to make that monumental choice. God, not what I want, but I'm choosing what you want to do. So every single sin was cast on the chest of Jesus. He took all the pain. He took all the heartache. He took all the sin. And that's why I think it was the most terrifying moment for Jesus in the garden because he knew that the father was going to be separated just for a moment, just for a moment. He could not be in the presence of sin. Knowing that that would be the most fearful thing, that's why I think Jesus was so distressed. And I think in that moment he was, he was depressed. He was struggling. He was fighting. What's so beautiful about this text is that Jesus, on his knees, an angel comes to strengthen him. So I see here, so simple, the struggle. We all see the struggle. Jesus struggled. He understands that. And then we see, at the very end of it, we see him finally submit it's okay to struggle. It's okay to kind of figure this out. Do I really believe in God? Is there a God? Do I really believe that Jesus is God? Do I believe that Christianity is the way? And what do I do with all these other religions and good people and everything going on in society that says, I know my truth and this is your truth and we can just all live in a happy place and we all just have our own truth. And why do we make sense of all this? 
that struggle is good to try and figure that out. Because I believe every struggle that we go through hopefully leads us to a place of submission. When, when, we have, when we had our boys, one of the greatest fears I had of our boys is that they would run away from the church or run away from God. That was one of the greatest fears because notorious for pastor's kids, they leave the church, they hate God because my dad was married to the church and we never saw my dad and they're always focused on, and then if they see me do one thing and say another and they see that as a pattern, I'm out of here. And so through that struggle, we wanted to give our kids permission to struggle. And can I be honest with you as a parent, I don't like that. Because I want to control it. I know what's truth, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, and that's just the way it's going to be, right? But we can't do that. We have to let them have their own struggle. And this is where prayer comes in, and this is where trust comes in. For those of you that have kids, and someday some of you want to have kids, do it. It's good. Having kids is fun. Sometimes it's a struggle. But you want them to get to a place of total submission. That's where you want your kids, right? Because if they are completely submitted to Jesus, life is going to be fine. I don't care what vocation they choose to do, whatever God leads them to do, that is secondary to me. My number one priority for my family, all I can do is be responsible for my family, is that we are submitted to God. And sometimes it's a struggle to get there. And can I just say it, MVCC, because all I can be responsible for is us. I can't talk about any other church. I can't talk about what, you know, the big C church is doing. Just here at MVCC, don't be afraid of the struggle. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're feeling depressed, Jesus understands that. I think for Christians, sometimes we think, gosh, I shouldn't be depressed because I should have joy. And I should be happy. And it should be a smile on my face. And everything's wonderful. And everything's right. On the inside, we're dying. And we got questions, and I can't have those questions answered right the way I wanted to be. It's okay. It's all right. And at the very end of this, isn't this beautiful? That God sent an angel, the Father in heaven sent an angel to strengthen Jesus. I don't know about this is huge for me. The Son of God needs an angel to strengthen him. He's God, but he's also human. You know, it's so cool that you can pray to God. God, I just need your angels in my house tonight because we got some stuff going on in our house. My kids are having nightmares. We've got a medical uh, decision to make. We've got issues over here with parents. We've got strife in the family. I don't know what's happening with my job. I don't know if we're going to lose the house. We all deal with stuff, don't we? We all struggle with stuff. And there's no reason you can't say, God, I need holy angels in this moment right now. Send Michael, the archangel, because I can't do this battle on my own. I need someone to fight for me. That's okay. It's all right. Wouldn't it have been cool to be Peter, James, or John and to go in to the inner sanctum of the garden with Jesus? My question is this, what about the rest of the guys? There was a man who, wife, had cancer. He was by her side every moment. The day that she was going in for surgery, he waited. He held her hand the whole way through, walking her down as they were wheeling her in for surgery. He still has a hold of her hand. He is not going to let go. And the um, medical attendant that was moving his wife into the place of surgery 
said, sir, I'm sorry, but this is as far as you can go. That sign up there, surgical. You can't go in here. You're going to have to wait. A stone's throw away, they were in the waiting room. But Jesus, the whole while, was still with them. There are some places that are so dark, that are so scary, and only God knows. But I bet if we had time and I asked, is there anyone here, especially the dads, you remember a time that you've been frightened, terrified, scared, and not know if you could even go on? He knows, and he cares. So what do we do? Know that your struggle is real and God is in it with you. Remember when we started this? It wasn't so much Peter getting out of the boat because that's what I always thought, man. Lord, make me a man of great faith. I'll just step out and do anything for you, God. And that's okay. But I think the thing that's more impactful to me now is that Jesus stepped into the boat in the storm and as soon as he stepped in, the storm ceased. I just want you to be reminded this morning, dads, guys, everybody, know that your struggle is real and God is in it. He's all right with you struggling. I really want you to get to a place of submitting to his will. So here's what I'm going to ask. In our wind of, of, of the OC here, life just gets the best of us. It's extremely busy. We got things to do. And those are good things. Things that we do, things on our schedule, it's good stuff. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in that we miss the opportunity for God to move in a moment in our life to give us strength because we think we need to do it all on our own. And can I ask for you to step into relationship with someone? We've provided that for you here and we call them life groups. We also have a wonderful thing called D12. It's just a one-on-one life, spiritual life coaching. We just help one another follow Jesus. The reason we have these things is not to say we have these things. These things are offered for us. I'm in one myself. I need a life group. And, and, and we all need relationship because it's there that we might find a garden friend. Garden friends are for life. Garden friends don't leave. Garden friends will say, I'm still here. Draw upon his strength when you are weak. I draw upon God's strength when I'm strong. Because that's what I was taught. That's the way I was raised. That's what we're taught around here. Your, one, your life is good. God, now I need you. When I'm weak is when I need him the most. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I don't like that. Because I don't want to look at my own weaknesses. But if Jesus was willing to do it, I'm in. Amen? And the last one is, choose your garden friends carefully. Carefully. Jesus did. Did he know that Peter was going to fail? Just hours later, Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus. Jesus already knew that. And he still invited Peter in. Can I just say in relationships and friendships, grace needs to be the basis 
for all of our relationships. So when my wife and I were in Sacramento, you know, there's a psalm that there's, there's certain parts of the Bible you just it just gets stuck here in a good way. And for me, that was Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will neither sleep nor will he slumber. In the garden, Jesus didn't fall asleep. He's not going to sleep when you have a problem. I was listening on one of my favorite churches in, in all the world is Brooklyn Tabernacle because the pastor of that church he just makes prayer the priority of his church. And there was a song that their choir did that I want us to just worship to right now as we're going to close this portion of the service. And Mia's going to sing this song. And um, here's what I'd like to do. I just really sense that God is in this moment. I just would like to ask the dads just to come to the front and just in the same posture that Jesus was at the garden to just come and kneel before him. I just think, guys, our greatest moment is in humility, knowing that I can't do everything, God. I need you. And I, I just invite you just to come from wherever you're seated and just come and kneel here at the front. And we're just going to worship. We're just going to worship Psalm 121 together. And then we'll, we'll see where God is, is leading. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.